Well, I am extremely glad to be here. Uh, this is my second time in this pulpit. It's a great pulpit. You get a wonderful view. It's a, one of those good old-fashioned pulpits you can get up into. The last time I was here, it was a huge anniversary of the university, and uh, there had been a gathering the night before. Yo-Yo Ma played out in the lawn between here and Widener Library, and it rained. And apparently it rained and rained and rained and rained. So on Sunday morning, it was sunny and beautiful after the festivities of the earlier part of the weekend. But the lawn between here and there was just a mudslick, absolutely horrible. Not a blade of grass left. So I'm glad to come back and see that uh, they've cleaned things up a little bit. It is really good to be here. I want to bring you greetings this morning from a few places. First, from my home church, which is First Congregational United Church of Christ in St. Louis, Missouri, where my wife, Lee, who's with me here today, and myself, we are members of that church. And I always have uh, this sense that you belong to a church, and when you're out and about, you're on loan. So uh, you've been lo I've been loaned to you today. Uh, so it's great to be here today. From Eden Seminary, where there's a community of a couple hundred students studying and preparing for ministries of the church, both here in the United States and around the world. I also am out and about in other places, and every time I go somewhere, I try to grab a few greetings to take to the next place. So the last place I asked for greetings was Orville, Ohio, St. Paul's United Church of Christ. And so I bring greetings from that little congregation in that tiny town in the middle of Ohio, famous for its jellies and jams. I also bring you greetings from the Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Ghana. I was there earlier this year when their new moderator was installed in a worship service that was grand and glorious. It began at 9 a.m. and ended at 3. I'm glad to tell you that I hope this one is a little briefer than six hours. So. I bring you greetings from these places because these places are part of a larger network of peoples and connections of which Memorial Church is a part. We are bound to each other across time and space. We are part of a larger community and movement. And your boundedness, the, the, the character of the bounds, that, uh, the, the, the bands that hold us together, were exemplified just this last year when Jonathan Walton, the pastor minister of this church, came to St. Louis with uh, about 10 or 15 theological students, including Danny, who was uh, a part of a delegation that came from Harvard and came to, and from Memorial Church to St. Louis after the tragic death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. That little town of Ferguson where I've known for years that had a name that wasn't infamous as it has become in this last year. But that group of folks came to Ferguson, to St. Louis, to be a part of a connection of care across the country and from literally around the world. It was great to worship with Reverend Walton on that Sunday shortly after 
the death of Michael Brown. That same week, another visitor from Boston came for a similar purpose, but not from this church, but from Old South Church in Boston. You know, the church on Boylston, you all know that church? It's, it's a glorious old church downtown, and, uh, and it's right on Boylston Street on its very front steps were the bombings here in Boston during the marathon. And this young woman, Kate Rogers, came from that church to a church in Ferguson, Missouri, to bring a, 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 a chain, literally a, a chain of cranes. Now, I know that's odd if you don't know what I'm talking about. These cranes are little paper origami cranes, you know, the... I don't know if you've seen these little ways to fold. I'm never sure why it looks like a crane. It never quite looks like it to me. But these small little origami cranes, the origin of this chain goes all the way back to Hiroshima. And the, and the cultural uh, saying that if you have a thousand cranes, your wish will come true. And so a thousand cranes were brought from Old South Church in Boston to Christ Church in Missouri as a, as a way to show the connection because Old South had gotten this chain of cranes after the bombing on Boylston Street. And they brought this chain all the way to St. Louis because the folks in St. Louis were also suffering after the death of an 18-year-old kid in the streets of Ferguson. This crane, this chain of cranes, is a connection between, between communities of anguish, between communities struggling with anguish, with pain, with problems, social problems and tragedies, that are so, so difficult. It is this odd thing, isn't it? That we are bound together by pain. That we share in common one tragic event or circumstance after another that there is a thread that runs between us, that ties us to human experience of anguish, symbolized in this case by a string of folded cranes reaching from Hiroshima to Boylston Street to Canfield Green Apartments in Missouri. It's an interesting thing to be bound in this way. We are in that regard bound also to the poetry of the book of Job. Job is an interesting book. It's mostly one long set of poems, poetry that that shares the anguish that Job has. You, you surely know the story, but let me refresh your memory. Job, 
a very faithful and pious man, had many children and great wealth and a great community of surrounding him. Just He had everything going for him. And in a very short time, he had everything gone. All of his children died. All of his wealth disappeared. Even his health disappeared. Job went from really having it all to having nothing, from riches to rags, he experienced loss in the most profound way. The poem makes it clear that Job's life turns into ashes. Everything that was fell apart. And when we read that, when we hear of that, when we know of that, it connects to us also at the very place where we have been in a great place where everything's going fine and well, and then suddenly everything falls apart. Maybe it has happened to you, surely it has happened to you. If not you, someone you know, if not someone you know, clearly in the world in which we live. Everything is bright and shiny on a running, beautiful marathon day, and it all blows up. Everything is fine and good, and it all falls apart. Everything collapses. So it is with Job. So is our connection to Job. His anguish speaks and connects to human anguish. Now Job has this problem. All this stuff falls apart and he wants to know why. Why don't you? Don't we want to know why? When things go bad, we want to know why. What did we do wrong? What happened? How did it slip away? What, what is the purpose? What is the reason for this? We want to have a good, clear answer. And Job is very fortunate because he's surrounded by loving friends who come and help him have an answer to all of these things, as loving friends often do. Oh, you know, it's a shame she died of cancer, but, you know, she smoked all the time. Or... It's really tragic that she died or got sick, but God really wanted it that way. The friends bring forward one explanation after another of why Job has these problems. But the explanations don't fit. There is no neat fit for Job between the explanation and the anguish. You cannot tuck in the corners of his grief. Its tattered edges will not be straightened. Several years ago, I was very fortunate to have uh, a reason to be in Japan. And being in Japan, took uh, the train down to Hiroshima. And Hiroshima, as you know, on August 6th was bombed with a nuclear bomb. And nearly 70,000 people were killed in a single instance. Hiroshima today is a little bit like the field between here and there. One can easily imagine and see pictures 
of how it looked then, but now Hiroshima looks like this. It doesn't have the mud everywhere. It's actually revived and there's green and trees and refreshed architecture and buildings. It's, it's hard almost to imagine that anything tragic or horrible happened there. There's a museum for sure, and that helps. But when we were there, I came upon something as a part of the memorial. There's a stone slab, just a, a piece of a front porch of a commercial building from Hiroshima, just a, an old limestone-looking slab. Looks like Missouri limestone to me, but surely not. It's in Japan. It looks like any stone slab I've seen anywhere, but there is a, a dark spot on it. And the plaque next to it says, it is a stain where a human being was incinerated by the atomic bomb. Here I was walking around Hiroshima trying to remember the things that had happened and I came across this stone slab and this thing happened to me. I went, <gasps> I gasped. It took my breath away. All the stuff looked so green and nice and suddenly I connected for a moment to the anguish, the incredible anguish of a human being, flesh and blood, bone of someone's bone, someone's son or daughter, someone's husband or wife, someone who got up on that day like so many days to live a life mixed with good and bad, fun and, and problems, all sorts of things, and on that day was killed, incinerated, and it took my breath away. Job lost everything and it took his breath away and despite all of the attempts to revive him by his friends or to find reasons none of it works and so so what job does is he he finally recovers his breath enough to make a defense he he wants to he wants to reject all of these explanations and so he he gets up and it says, then finally Job answered. Here's the, here's the text. Job answered and he says, today, today my complaint is bitter. I am upset because I hurt. I hurt so badly and I want to reject all of these explanations. I, I want to say that I didn't bring this on myself. I didn't do this to myself. There's no clear-cut explanation of what happens. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to find God and I'm going to explain it to God and work it all out with God. And so Job starts to look for God to explain it. Job goes here and there trying to find God and Job can't find God. Where is God? If I go forward, God is not there. If I go backwards, God is not there. If I, I cannot perceive him, on the left he hides and I can't behold him. I turn to the right and I cannot see him. Everywhere he goes, he cannot find God because he wants to get a good, clear answer from God. He wants to make his case in the presence of God and he can't do it. 
He has only the anguish, the terrible loss, the horrible things that have happened to him. And so he ends and he says, Oh, if only, if only I could vanish in darkness and thick darkness would cover my face. Job would like all of this to end. This anguish that he has that he can't quite fix. He'd like it to end, but he can't pull it off. He can't run from it. He can't hide from it. And it's true for us as well. Sisters and brothers, I would like to live with the wonderful explanation I did about Hiroshima for years, the wonderful explanation that I heard generation after generation in every school class I ever went to is that we bombed Hiroshima because we had to solve the war that was going on. And if we hadn't done it, it would have gone on. There was more anguish and agony. There's a great explanation for what happened at Hiroshima. There's a wonderful explanation about what happened to Michael Brown. Michael Brown, of course, was bullying back and forth and tussling with a police officer. Surely Michael Brown brought this on himself. The, the problems on Boyle Street, Street, surely there's a reason for it. We haven't quite done it well. It was mental illness or it was one thing or another. There's all these reasons and explanations we give for the things that happened. But the truth is, sisters and brothers, these reasons don't fit well. These explanations don't fit fully into the anguish that we have. The anguish exceeds is more than the explanation. I'm not trying to say there isn't an explanation for these things. I'm trying to say the explanation cannot explain it all. Human anguish does not fit well into explanation. You can run but you cannot hide because the problems of the world still stay with us. You can run, but you cannot hide. What Job's friends are trying to do is what so many of our friends try to do, what we're trying to do. We're trying to take the thread of pain that connects us in the world and tie it in a nice knot. We're trying to put things into clear boxes so that we can control them and move on. We want to say, this thing in Ferguson, can't we be finished with it? Can't we tie it up and get on? This problem with racism in America, isn't it over yet? Can't we move on? These problems that we have, can't we move on? Can't we just go on? But anguish doesn't work so well. It does not disappear or end so clearly. There's an interesting thing about Job's search for God. Job knew what was going on in himself. He wanted to find a God who would work it all out with him as well. But the God who makes anguish fit in nice boxes also is gone. The theological claim of Job, a stunning theological claim, is that it's true that Job cannot run or hide from his pain. 
but it is also true that God cannot run and cannot hide. Instead, what do we do with anguish? We do not cover it up. We do not tie it up. We are instead bound together, one with another, and also with God, who does not tie it up, but does not give it up either. Sisters and brothers, our world's pain does not just disappear, but it is what makes us human beings bound to one another, held together. 